0: Hello there, this is Lisa Borders and on this podcast, I'll connect with people from all walks of life. We'll talk about overcoming adversity, transmuting the shadow, and moments of illumination. We'll explore what it means to fulfill our potential while maintaining our most authentic selves. And we'll reflect on the lessons we're learning all along the way. If you feel inspired by what you hear, subscribe wherever you're listening, leave a five-star review, share it with a friend, and join the community at lisaborders.us. Thank you for joining me, and this is Enlightened. Well, hello everyone, Lisa here, and I have a treat today. I get to speak with Alicia English my friend, my sister from another mister. I love her. Welcome, Alicia.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm honored. I love you. I'm so genuinely excited for this conversation and just excited to jump in.
0: I'm so thrilled to get to spend a little bit of time with you virtually on the pod because I love spending time with you in person, but the pandemic has precluded all of us from doing the traditional things. So we're doing plan B, and this is not a bad plan B, but you have just written a poetry book. So before we get into the background and who you are and what you're doing, you're an artist first and foremost. And I want to hear some of the poetry from your new book. Tell us the name of it, and then will
1: you select a piece and read for me? I would be honored. Okay, so my book is called I Wrote This to Heal, and it's really just a collection of different reflections and notes and poems and pieces that really lived in my journal. I like to say that it is very humbly created and offered, And I really truly feel like it is a book that I felt called to do and actually sharing it with other people, I think is in service of what I felt called to do. So, and I think you might pick up my nerves a little bit there and that's normal. (laughs) Is that something I've learned is it's normal to feel nerves when you're sharing something that is so intimate and so personal and nerves are okay and they're healthy I think sharing this book right now, I'm very much about looking at things that, picking up things that I'm afraid of, picking up things that I've called fear and Mm -hmm. actually looking at them. And sharing this book is one of those things where I was like, why am I so nervous? Why do I feel this fear in sharing this? And the first part of my book and the opening, I really share why publishing this book was reclaiming that fear and shifting that narrative and my relationship with what I felt afraid to do into something that could be a source of power and for myself.
0: Oh my goodness. That's courage personified to be able to look that fear, stare it down, and then say, I'm going to eat you for breakfast. Let's go get it. Please read a piece Transform
1: it. Sure. Okay. This is actually a piece. I read my own book for the first time this weekend, and it was super powerful, but this one is one that always comes up. Me and I come back to it very often when I feel myself shrinking. So, this is called abbreviate. There will be those who want to abbreviate you to make you smaller and less complex, reduce you, diminish you, make you easier for them to understand, to digest. They will stand by and watch you fade. You are more than an abbreviation. When they try to shrink you, expand, take up space. Abbreviations are a breath. You are eternity. Oh my goodness. That warms my
0: heart. It makes me think about how women are often received and perceived, particularly women of color, Black women, first among equals. Oh my God. So warming. So warming. Now, what made you in that particular poem? Was there an instance that made you write that poem or was it a series of experiences? How did you come about or what was the inspiration for that particular poem?
1: It's a really good question. I think definitely much more of a series of just realizations about myself and all the ways that I was shrinking. Or it's like you said, I think it's very common, especially for women. We're often accommodating. We're often caring for others. I'm the oldest in my family. So was very much raised like, you take care. My grandpa always used to say, you take care of your sister and your cousins now, you hear? And that's something that I always took pride in. It was that responsibility to care for people. And I think in that, it can be really easy To lose yourself. And that is something that is a series of lessons. It's something that I'm still learning and just increasing awareness of when I'm doing that. Also, just in work, sometimes, I don't know what it is. I don't know if you relate to this, but when people really see me shining, sometimes I just feel like, oh, that was too much. It's uncomfortable. Let me dim that light a little bit. And I am continuing to unpack and understand just how deep it goes and where I learned that. And I don't think that I'm unique in that, but it just feels so naked sometimes to be seen in your power fully. And I am now in a place where I'm like, okay, let's not just step into it, but let's stand in it. And it's not even about me. When I stand in my power, when I take up that space, when I expand, it's actually honoring God and it's honoring my own divinity, Myself is God that lives within me. So that's how I think about it now. And that's been really helpful. Like, it's not just about little me. (laughs) No, this is what you do. And it's not like all of us should do this. And especially for Black women, it's no, just take up all the space. Literally take it up. Take it up.
0: You know what? I cannot agree with you more. And I don't think it's about ego me. I think it's about collective we. There has to be a new embrace of women in general, but Black women in particular, because we've been supporting a whole bunch of stuff, not just our biological family or our extended community family. We're like holding up democracy. We're like helping in so many different ways. And we've been doing it literally for centuries. So let's talk about how we learn these behaviors. Let's go back to when you were a little girl and remind me of where you're from and how you grew up. And that I know has some input into how you operate day to day, but also what has driven this creative energy to come out of
1: you in such a fulfilling burst. Yeah. I grew up in a very close family, very much with the collective in mind, very much a family that is rooted in being of service. I grew up in San Jose, California. My grandparents were moved from Detroit and were two of the first Black people, not the only, but early, my grandpa was the second black doctor in in San Jose. And when was this Alicia? What circa what? Circa 1950s. I could be. Yeah. Somewhere in there. But yeah, that is what was modeled was service. The way that I understand it, it was never just about them and their family. And when they were able to open certain doors and the story that I always love to tell that they shared is they couldn't get a house when they moved here as Black people. So, my grandpa rented an office in downtown San Jose area off of Julian. And they actually were living in this back of the house for a long time where he was also practicing. Eventually, they got a home and they bought land and they built their home literally from the ground up. And for me, that was just so beautiful because it's not like they arrived there and were like, okay, we made it. They actually continued to do a lot in the community and specifically around housing rights for other African-Americans in the San Jose area that were moving and not able to get housing in particular. So that's just a story that sticks with me, but that's just in my blood. It's in my DNA. It's what I know and what was modeled. It's any gift that you have and I do think it's important to name, too, that there's so many privileges that I inherited because of their sacrifices and what I was just born into. And that is a privilege. They had education. They were able to have a home. And with that, there's certain responsibilities that I feel I carry as well. It's complicated in that for a long time, I think that sense of responsibility meant I had to show up in a certain way, or speak in a certain way, or I think there was always a little bit of just monitoring what I shared and how I presented it. There was a lot of thinking about how I presented. And now it's about being authentic. It's just about the greatest responsibility that I feel right now is to myself. And in doing that, I'm also honoring my family. I'm also honoring my ancestors. And again, there's a privilege for me, even in this book, there are pieces that I know that women before me, that my grandmother might've experienced, that my great-grandmother might've experienced, great-great-grandmother might've experienced, and could never write about, could Mm -hmm. never write about, could never express without having ramifications. So I think to be in a place of liberation just means to be in a place of speaking truth. And that's what I hope that this book is that's what it feels like for me and I hope that it liberates not just me but also those who came before me that I never even met never even knew wow I see the inspiration
0: I hear it in your voice as you're speaking and it occurred to me that we are all wearing masks around Mm -hmm. our mouths and our noses to prevent germs from transmitting to others, but it occurs to me that as you were describing presenting in a certain way, we were all wearing a full facial mask. People really couldn't see the real us. We had to project or present in a certain way. And that resonates for me, having integrated a white school in the Mm -hmm. South, you couldn't be too cultural or they would call it too black because it was too threatening and intimidating. And it was really just a culture that the majority students, the white students hadn't seen and didn't understand. But rather than help them understand, I wore a mask, which is what many black people have done for generations. And we are now unmasking and showing our true and authentic selves. So kudos to you for taking our ancestral lines and helping them express what they had to endure for centuries. Kudos to you for working on the liberation. But let's step back into San Jose and growing up there. We jumped
1: around a lot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We're getting a little heavy here. (laughs) But talk about growing up in San Jose. What was that like? Because you said your family moved from Detroit. I remember reading about black families who migrated from the south after slavery and they went to different parts of the country a lot of them went to the midwest to places Mm -hmm. like detroit but your family not only went to detroit they subsequently went further to the west coast so what was it like growing up in california for you as a young girl a teenager and then talk about college i know you came back east to do the college
1: thing so talk about that a little bit what it was like Yeah. I I don't think I realized how much being from California actually shaped a lot of how I see the world until recently. So I grew up in mostly Catholic schools. I started going to Catholic school when I was in third grade. So as you were sharing, and I'm listening and loving your story too, just so you know, that's why I'm like, thanks for excited to be on this podcast, (laughs) but really relate to that. I went to a school that was mostly white and I think really when I was younger, had this sort of, it, they were also like Catholic and Christian schools, so had this idealistic understanding of, oh, we're all the same and it's kumbaya and <laughs> we'll hold hands and sing together. And that's not the reality. I think the way that racism works in California is it is very subtle. It is not always in your face, but it is very present. And there are so many micro moments looking back on my childhood where I was like, oh, i never felt like I quite belonged. I never felt like I quite fit in. And I remember I tell this story a lot, but in third grade, when I first switched to Catholic school, did you ever see the movie Little Women?
0: Yes,
1: of course. Yes. So it was a thing when I was in third, it was the movie, it was the jam and everyone loved myself included Little Women. And we used to play, or there was a group of girls that I was friends with or wanted to be friends with. They used to play little women. So everyone would be a character and they'd be like, I'm this person and we're creating this home out of leaves and sticks. And we're the little women. I wanted to play. And I was the dog. It was like, Alicia, you're gonna be the dog. (laughs) Oh
0: my goodness. You
1: don't get to come in the house, but you have a really important part in this game. And I did it. I was like, so honored to be a part of this game. And looking back on that, it might feel like this silly, insignificant story, but it's so deep because I think at that age, it was already this understanding that there's no space for you here because in Little Women, there's no Black little woman in this movie. <laughs> like,
0: Wow. There's no
1: one who looks like you. But the fact that it was like, you get to be the dog. Wow. Where did we learn that? We were in third grade. There was some place that we learned that. I say that to say that I spent so much in elementary middle school years, especially just trying to fit in and force myself into the house. I wanted to fit into the Little Women house. And that is something as I started to just explore and unpack my own identity and what that really meant and what were the implications that it had on me. What does it mean to be trying to fit into this place, into this home that has made it clear that you don't belong there? And a switch for me was shifting. And I went to Howard for college, moved to DC. I was like, I'm out. I want an HBCU experience. (laughs) And it is The best decision that I ever made, all HBCUs, I say this anytime that I have a conversation with anyone, I am just like here for it. I am in full support because earlier when I was talking about liberation, I think it is the space where I felt most liberated. It was a switch that went off where I was like, I don't have to try to fit into these homes that I've been trying to fit into. I can create my own. We can create our own as Black people? And what if our shift was away from trying to belong and essentially assimilate and just into being who we are and creating our own and creating our own economies, creating our own sense of self, of identity, of pride. And that is where I've chosen to shift and redirect my energy and I just like to show up as who I am. And I think that was what was so powerful about my experience at Howard. We were Black people from across the diaspora. And I never had that experience either growing up in California. Most people are African American, like you were saying, moved from the South. A lot of people from Texas, from the Midwest. There's a migration in California. So it's very much African American. And Howard was the first time that I really understood that there was this diaspora and had friends from Jamaica and Trinidad and Africa. It was beautiful. Howard is the place where I just felt free, truly free. And I didn't feel like I had to perform anything for anyone. And I just understood the beautiful diverse fabric of what blackness really is and what it means. And there's no prescription for it. There's no right way to be black. Like <laughs> That's a whole nother conversation that's a whole other con- the community. Yeah, that's another podcast, but yeah.
0: But here's the <laughs> thing that I love about that. It's so fascinating because you're so young going to college. You're 17, 18 years old, right? Yeah. You're from California. And I have to say, I have cousins who live in Oakland. Their dad was an OBGYN and he literally went out to a conference fell in love with California and they moved across the country and we thought they were nuts. At the same time, we were told in a very broad stroke, California embraces everybody and there's no real racism. So as we grew up, we too learned from our cousins and from others who were in California that California is not immune from having Problems just like the rest of the country and frankly, the rest of the world. So, the fact that you experienced that at such a young age, and I'm so sorry, I relate on so many levels, as do so many Black people. Your perception was you could fit in and that this was a place and a space. It happened to be the little women game but that's a microcosm of America and the world. So the fact that you had this aha moment or a moment, frankly, of enlightenment that you could go to Howard and feel free and feel totally comfortable, not only in your blackness, but learn about black people from all over, not just the country, but the world. And that they too were at Howard creating this safe place and space to learn and just be is incredible. And let's just say hello to all the HBCUs and Madam Vice President, like we are arriving for sure. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Talk a little bit more about not only Howard, but when you tapped into your creative self, Mm -hmm. because you are now a published author, you published a
1: book, Somebody I did. say I amen. did. I, I did. I it. published a book. You're right. I did that. <laughs> I did that.
0: You did that like a boss. Yeah. So <laughs> when did you realize you had a creative gene, if you will? They say all of us have it, but everyone doesn't like cultivate it and curate it and really develop it. So when did you realize that because you've been through a lot starting back there at third grade, mm-hmm. great grounding with the family, but when did you tap into the creative thing?
1: Yeah, always. Mm. I think this book is just reconnecting with it and remembering it. But even then, actually creativity and creative expression was the thing that I found solace in. So I escaped a lot of the things that I was experiencing. And people would be like, oh, Alicia's. she's an interesting girl. She's in her own (laughs) universe. And it's, yeah, I created my own universe because the one I was in was I didn't belong there. I didn't fit in. So I was always creating these stories and I have journals, binders and folders, books, stories, things that I would write. I used to write plays and I would cast my cousins and my sister and be like, okay, you're going to play this role. You're this person. (laughs) This is the script. That's the perk of being the oldest. You get to people listen. But that was literally, I've been doing that forever. And I got really into theater at a very young age and performance. I think there was a phase where I was trying on these different things. I was like, I'm going to run track. Like, My sister's an athlete. She's super like athletic and I come from a family with a lot of athletes, but I was like, I'm not. That was, (laughs) that was what I learned my lane and I actually found theater. I found theater and acting and did tons of plays in high school. I got into open mics more when I was at Howard and really like the spoken word scene in DC and I don't know. Even when I went to New York after Howard and I taught theater, I was a theater teacher. I did a couple plays. Like that was my entire world was actually creative. And to be honest, I don't know where the pivot happened or when I started to feel like I was getting further away from that because literally my entire life, my community was creative, my work was creative, everything was just about expression. And I think in the last few years, I just got further away from that. And I shifted my energy to other places, and into myself and doing a lot of just inner exploration and work. But I say that to say, this book is actually just coming back home. It's coming back to the things that I always knew. It's remembering. It really is. So The short answer is I've always been creative. I've always been a writer. I've always been an actress. I've always been a creator. I think we all are. I actually think that is the human experience. Like every human is put on this earth as a creator. We all have the power to create realities. We all have the power to create our lived, like manifest, to create whatever it is that is in front of us. That is creation. And that's what we're all called to do, I believe. And just with our own unique gifts and talents. This is just remembering mine. It's
0: just oh, remembering. I love that. It's such a fascinating perspective because I know most times when I've spoken to people about artistic gifts, we immediately think, I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't paint. Can't is the operative word. You can, right? It's a mindset mindset thing. And as you talk about shifting, moving away from your creative self and coming back to your creative self, it's really a fascinating journey because you don't know where the pivot is, but you knew you needed to pivot in some way, right? You needed to come home to your creative self. But what I find so interesting is that you had that experience in third grade you actually took the pen and started writing your own plays so you could write yourself and your sister and your cousins and everyone into the play, creating this reality where you did belong and where you did find comfort. Tell me a little bit more about the New York thing and the theater part. I didn't uh, know that at oh, all. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no, So <laughs> tell me more about that. Was- that how you yes. got into it and what you were doing.
1: Yeah, that was, oh, that's so funny. It feels like a very long time ago. I guess it is now. So I was a theater major at Howard and I actually went in as an acting major and I thought that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an actress. I was going to study. There were so many incredible performers, playwrights, actors. Literally, it's like an infinite list of, of Black artists that ran through or went through Howard's fine Arts program and- That was my vision. That's what I wanted to do. I was like, I'm gonna do it too. And I actually ended up working. There's an organization called Young Playwrights Theater. And I started doing some after school programming and like interning with them. And I loved teaching. I Loved it. And I didn't even know. I just loved working with young people. I felt like there was a lot of reciprocity in it because when I was teaching, I was also just charging my own creative energy and by, and learning so much. I think the thing about teaching that I love is it's actually just a really rich learning experience as a teacher. It's not just, you are just teaching and giving wisdom. I don't believe in that at all. There's again, reciprocity is the word that comes to mind. And I learned so much from working with young people. And I was just like, I think I want to do this. So at the time there was a theater education program at Howard, I switched my major. And I was, I did, took the praxis and all of that. Did all the tests and got my teaching certification and taught with the New York City Department of Education, lived in Harlem. It was literally my dream. There's a book called Paris Noir and I've always been fascinated with the Harlem Renaissance and James Baldwin, Zora Neale Hurston, all of these black creatives actually were in Harlem I just pictured it. I was like, the streets are going to sing jazz. I'm going to be in there. (laughs) Because they were all there together. They were there together. And that is just what I wanted. And then I'll go to Paris too and create and be in plays. And we'll just, this bohemian, it was just always my dream. It's just what I saw. And it's what I lived, frankly. And what I loved about teaching, especially there was one year I taught in Harlem is I was teaching in my neighborhood and I loved seeing my students. I loved feeling like I was, part of just this larger community, it was all in this little five, six block radius. Yeah, I think the years in New York, the years in Harlem for me are forever will be something that I look back on really fondly. And with a lot of gratitude and respect for the gifts that it gave me, the friendships, the relationships, the fun. It was really fun. I was was 21. I was having a really good time. I was having such a good time. And looking back on it too, I'm like, I was teaching high school. Like some of my students were only a few years younger than me and I'm a little thing. So I'd be in there. I'm like, I can't believe they listened to me or took me seriously at all. Looking back on it, knowing who I am and It's really funny to imagine now, but it was powerful. It
0: was really powerful. It sounds like it was really courageous. Let's just break this down for just a second. So you go to Howard, you come across the country from San Jose, you go to Howard, you start down one path as a major, you change that major, you graduate, you get your teaching certificate, you go to another city.
1: Yeah. Did you know anybody
0: in New York when you I rolled did. up?
1: I did. I did. That was, I mean, that's a part of why it was so much fun. There were actually a lot of people who I went to college with that were moving at the same time and others that had graduated that I was friends with. So I would go visit them on the weekends. And I thought I was a cool kid <laughs> to tell me. You couldn't tell me nothing. Like you could not <laughs> tell me nothing. I was in New York. Like
0: well, clearly, you were so, a cool kid. But I, I think thought about, I was. <laughs> I think I about I was. folks today who are so fearful of just talking to another person in the office next door or their neighbor next door. And you literally picked up with a new skill set from college as a young person and planted yourself, if you will in New York, in the Big Apple. And it was a far cry, literally geographically, the farthest point potentially that you could go in the U.S., unless maybe you went to New Hampshire or Maine. Right,
1: Right. yeah. No, I wasn't doing that. I
0: wasn't doing that. Uh, (laughs) It's a little colder. It is a little colder,
1: yeah. (laughs) For
0: sure. So tell me how you left New York. How did you make the next pivot? Because I'm always interested in people finding their passion, but also their purpose. Because I look at you now as not just an artist, but a mature, evolved artist who has now published and put her information, her substance of herself out into the world. So how'd you make that next pivot?
1: Yeah. So it was just time. It was very intuitive and so my grandpa passed away and my grandpa and I were very close just had a very to this day like I still I feel him I know he is around but had a very special connection and when he passed I wanted to come home and I wanted to be with my family and it just started to feel far and I think I was just at that place where I was in my mid 20s at that point and I had been in New York for a while and was just thinking more about future and what matters. And really I moved because I wanted to be closer to my family. And in that, I'm so glad that I did because there, to be really honest, there were a lot of deaths and a lot of losses in a very short period of a few years. And it was hard. Like it was a challenging time. And circling back to what I was sharing earlier in that I was able to be there for my family. And in a lot of ways, not always for myself, I think is, and we're working on that, but um, that's a journey. But I think that really was the heart of that decision and that pivot to come back to California. So I moved back to the Bay Area and actually did not intend to stay. I thought it was going to be short term. I was going to help out with the family stuff for a little bit. And then I ended up in San Francisco. It's so wild because it was never intentional. And I actually fell in love all over again with the Bay Area and it's very much home. But I ended up back in San Francisco because I was working as a hostess at a restaurant. It was just such a funky time. I was a hostess at a restaurant. Hey man, we do what we gotta do. We do what, oh, and it's no shame. It's more than like, I actually think restaurants, I really believe this. If I ever have children, I'm like, you will work in a restaurant. I learned so much and have so much respect for Everyone who works in service and especially in restaurants, it is, you learn how to work with different personalities. You learn how to be dynamic. You learn how to like hustle and work hard. I learned more probably working in a restaurant than I have <laughs> doing anything else. There's no shade to it. It's just what it was. I went from having a very clear vision and I was just like meandering. Like I was meandering and that was the situation. Got a rent controlled apartment. Someone wow. who I was a friend was like, I work with someone there's a room. She has a room. I know you're with family. You probably want some space, $650 a month or something. It was like ridiculous. Wait, in the Bay area? In the Bay. Oh my god! And it was with roommates and all of that. But I was just like, okay, this is great. (laughs) I'm going to do this. And that is how I landed back in San Francisco or in San Francisco and ended up staying. It was not the intent, but things just, I fell in love with it. I have incredible community of friends and support system. And I loved being close with my family and still having a little distance, and it was just really aligned. Met Dijon um, and just like really met an incredible community and stayed. So, well, it's
0: so interesting. I've often been told that there's no such thing as things happening, just serendipity. That's not really true. It's God's way of remaining anonymous, that things mm-hmm. work out the way they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And we feel the pull. We don't exactly know necessarily where it comes from, but the grounding that you got as a little girl and the need, the call from home, it wasn't necessarily a physical call. You wow. had conversations, sure, with your family, but it's almost like a heart tug Mm call and you've got to get back. For some reason, you feel that magnetism pulling you back home. So I'm glad you're back in the Bay Area where you came from originally and place that you love, but also a place of great creativity for you where it Mm -hmm. all started. So as I watch you today and I look at how you're blossoming like a rose, you already were a gorgeous flower, but now... You're opening up and blossoming. Talk a little bit about the internal work. Like, how did you know you needed to work on you? Young women ask me all the time, how can I be successful? How can I do this? How can I? And I'm like, start with yourself. Mm. Like, you got to get comfortable in your skin. Mm -hmm. And we're often taught to nurture others, as we talked about at the top of this conversation. But we're not often taught to navigate and negotiate life, starting with self-care. As they mm-hmm. say in the airline industry, put your mask on first, mm-hmm. or you can't help anybody. Yeah. How did you know to work on
1: Alicia? I love that question. And as you were talking, I just kept remembering, and this is still work, how it felt to put that oxygen mask on and mm-hmm. feeling guilty for it. Wow, I think we equate self-care often as self-indulgence or it can feel selfish, but actually it is the most generous thing that you can do, not just for yourself, but for people that you love and for people that you don't even know that you are going to touch and impact. And how did I know? I think because I was so tired all the time and I'm like, I don't want to feel like this.
0: (laughs) Like this ain't
1: it. This can't (laughs) be it. This can't be it. And there comes a moment where you choose. And for me, I can't say that it was again, one specific single moment that triggered it. It was just knowing. And I do think when we are still and we create some space for stillness, there's just a knowing that occurs. One thing that I really appreciate about being in the Bay Area is there's a lot of nature and there's just a lot of really beautiful landscapes that are really easily accessible and I love to hike. And so Mm -hmm. I do think there's like a relationship between around the time I started hiking when I first moved back and actually carving out those moments to just be alone and be in the presence of something that felt so much bigger than all of us. And know that own knowing for me of there's work here (laughs) Mm. there's work here and and it's okay and again not only is it okay it's necessary and what a gift for you to be able to do this and it's still a process I definitely have a very hard time with articulating boundaries I don't think that's unique (laughs) it's not we all yeah we all have that challenge and I am working on it I am working on it (laughs) constantly but there's the awareness there's the awareness there and the intention constantly to create the space to not even just care for myself, but to honor myself, to honor this body, to honor this life. Amazing
0: on so many levels. I cannot thank you enough for being so willing to be not only authentic, but candid and transparent about what you've lived through, what you are working on the enlightenment you saw or felt from third grade to understand who you are and to move to a place of being able to refine and define your own reality, that is huge. People go a lifetime and don't have that moment where they recognize not only that opportunity, it's almost an obligation for survival and ultimately to thrive. So let me thank you for the time today. I am so grateful that I got to spend this time. I thought I knew everything about you, (laughs) not even close, but the wisdom that you've shared is so impactful. So thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I know I said honored and humbled and just excited were some words I used for this conversation. But when you said that, I'm like, yeah, there's constant shifts that are happening and constant learning that we have about ourselves and each other. I feel like we are both on that journey and individually and together and just excited to see how that continues to evolve.
0: I am as well. Promise me you'll come back. And I want you to come back before you write your next book, because I want you to tell us all about it before you do. I got you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, everyone. That was this week's episode of Enlightened. I hope you learned something new and feel inspired to meet any challenge you may be facing in life. If you enjoy the energy we're creating here, subscribe wherever you're listening. Leave a five star review, share it with a friend, and join the Enlightened community for bonus episodes and deeper discussions at lisaborders.us. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week.